0: Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito Hey, this is Anthony Benning. You're listening to Fear the Sword Podcast. <laughs> Hello and welcome everyone. My name is Trevor Magnati and this is the Thick Jack Frames podcast, Fear the Swords NBA Draft podcast. The NBA Draft is now three weeks away. We still have no idea really of what the Cleveland Cavaliers are going to do at that time. The team is pretty well closed off in terms of public information. For what they're doing in terms of the draft. And while we know that they may be interested in Cam Reddish and Jared Culver, we don't have a concrete idea of really who they'll be working out and how they value players at either spot, the fifth or the twenty-sixth pick. That leaves us in an awkward spot for discussing potential prospects. We've already covered most of the players that the Cavs should consider at five, and if you want in-depth breakdowns of Culver, Reddish, DeAndre Hunter, and Kobe White, you can go back and listen to our old episodes. We have spent a lot of time also talking about who the Cavs should pick, so today let's veer into the opposite direction and talk about who the Cavs shouldn't pick. The draft process features a lot of pet prospects that fans of every team want. This year, those prospects include Culver, Brandon Clark, and Grant Williams, but it also features a few teams falling in love with prospects who have no business really being drafted where they will end up getting drafted. These types of players are usually guys who either look the part, with physical frames that match NBA archetypes, or have one skill that seems to be NBA level. But when you consider these guys as a whole, you can see that they are probably too limited for the NBA. Past players of this type would include Malachi Richardson of Syracuse, Scala B. Sierra of Kentucky, and Kevin Knox of Kentucky. All of these guys are players who got hyped up for reasons that weren't really anything to do with their college production or skills. This year being a weaker draft class, it lends itself to there being more types of these guys as we try to grasp at straws to look for upside in the draft. We're going to touch on a few of these players that the Cavs could consider, but probably shouldn't. We're going to hit five today. Rui Hachimura, Tyler Herro Nasir Little, Bruno Fernando, and KZ Akpala. We'll start off talking about Hachimura because he's probably the most well-regarded prospect of the five guys that we just listed. He's probably going to go around the back end of the top ten. And there's a conceivable world where you can see the Cavs reaching to go get him with the number five spot. I would very much not be a fan of this, but it's a possibility. Hachimura is a 6'8", 230-pound junior with a 7'2", wingspan from Gonzaga. He averaged 19.7 points, 6.5 rebounds, and 1.5 assists per game. So a pretty productive year for Hachimura in his junior season. Helped lead Gonzaga to the Elite Eight, won the Julius Irving Award as the best small forward, quote-unquote, in college basketball. But functionally, Hachimura wasn't really a small forward. He instead played pretty much the four for Gonzaga as Brandon Clark and Killian Tilly kind of operated as functional threes for that team. What Hachimura is really being hyped up as is he kind of has a similar build to Draymond Green, where he's kind of this, you know, thicker, stockier guy who has really long arms and shows a really good movement set. He's really quick, especially side to side on offense. He has a pretty good spin move, really good in the open court. And a lot of people are thinking that that's going to project to him being able to translate to being a good defender at the NBA level. But fundamentally, there really isn't much similarity between what Hachimura does and what Draymond Green does. Remember, Draymond Green at Michigan State, a very good passer, pretty much operated as a point forward for them and then was the linchpin for their defense. Hachimura, more of an inside guy, more of a play finisher who is going to create out of face-up opportunities, score in the pick and pop, and operate out of the dunker spot on offense. And... I think what this comparison really undersells and what evaluations of Hachimura undersell are his complete lack of defensive instincts. We've talked a few times on here about how defensive instincts are really the most important thing for having defensive success at the NBA level. You can have the best wingspan in the world, you can have a really good frame and be lightning quick and be able to accelerate back and forth and do all of those things and and look like you're going to be able to guard in space at the NBA level, but functionally, you have to be able to make good decisions, you have to be able to anticipate what the offense is going to be able to bring at you, and you really have to be able to... Understand where you're supposed to be and when to be able to make impact plays consistently at the defensive side of the ball in the NBA. This is the reason why a lot of people are lower on Bull Bull compared to what his wingspan would suggest. For him being a rim protector, because he does not have that rim protection instinct to really be able to make those rotations over and be able to block shots. DeAndre Ayton, very similar last year. Hachimura, in particular, is a guy who just does not process the game very well at all, even for the college level. He was a guy who routinely would find himself out of position, would lose track of his man defending off ball, would overhelp and over rotate, not really understanding what the defense set in front of him was prepared to be able to do, and it resulted in a lot of open shots for the smarter players that he faced off against. Um, The game that sticks out in everyone's mind in terms of negative play from Rui Hachimura on defense is the Tennessee game, when he was guarding Grant Williams and Admiral Schofield for much of that game, and those two just blitzed him off-ball, and they ran him in a lot of pick-and-rolls and 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 pick-and-pops, and he was just lost being able to make decisions and it ended up giving up a lot of open jumpers to those guys. That's going to be the type of player that Hachimura is at the NBA level. He is not going to be a fundamentally good decision maker. He's going to be a guy who's going to kind of get confused and lost by more complex NBA actions, particularly if he's defending on ball. And I'm just not super high on his offensive skill set either. I mean, the type of player that he is where he's kind of this bully ball, ball, almost ball-dominant, big man who is able to create a lot out of one-on-one situations but doesn't offer much value outside of that you know that really doesn't work unless you are like a very solid defensive player I mean Julius Randle for example for the Pelicans you know he wasn't the player that he was this past or the past two seasons until he kind of learned how to become a functional NBA defender. And he also added a three point shot, which has been a huge boon to his success. Hachimura shot pretty well this year, but only shot 36 threes and does not have a history of being a very strong shooter. I mean, he shot 19% from three on 26 attempts last year and hit 10 more threes in 10 attempts, or 10 more attempts this year, and suddenly is at 42%. I'm not super confident that he's going to be the type of player who you can project to shoot at the NBA level. So if he doesn't shoot, and he's not a functional NBA team defender, and he's really not even that good uh, defending in the post against bigger guys who are going to be able to see over the top of him. Then I don't really know what his role is at the NBA level outside of being like a kind of black hole style bench big who you throw to get possession or get possessions while you have a bench unit without creators and you just kind of hope that you tread water while he's out there. That's not a very optimal situation for him, and that's kind of why I'm leaning a little bit against him. I have him number 42 in my rankings because he is a very talented offensive player for what he does, but his his defensive instincts are the worst in this class and that's saying something um so I'm not super big on Hachimura in terms of the overall draft luckily he's probably going to go well in between where the Cavs are going to be picking and isn't going to be an option for them really at either spot but we look at a guy who is going to be an option for them and who get, kind of gets ranked highly despite kind of, or despite not really having. Any skills much le- much like Hachimura, and not really being good at the skill that he's purported to have. That's Tyler Herro from Kentucky, um, a player who's kind of projected in the mid twenties. At a lot of sites, um, and a player that I have fifty eighth on my current board, and I'm probably going to drop down on my next update, probably off the board completely. Um, six four and a half t- uh, inches tall, one hundred ninety two pounds, six point or six foot three wingspan. Out of Kentucky, Haro averaged 14.0 points, 4.5 rebounds, and 2.5 steals per game this year. Played a pretty decent role for a pretty decent Kentucky team um, o- overall. But he's kind of getting hyped as kind of this pure shooter type, the type of player that you know Kevin Herter was, that a JJ Redick is, um, the type of player who's going to come in and is going to be able to shoot on volume come around screens shoot in the mid-range and be a overall spacing threat for the offense and when I look at the type of player who does who does that I want to look at two things one does he hit a high percentage on volume uh, and two is he able to do the accessory things that help you actually become a spacing threat because it's one thing to be able to hit open threes, but you have to be able to A, get yourself open, and B, be able to capitalize on situations where the team sends a defender out to contest you with a hard contest. And every good shooter in the league is able to do that to some degree. I mean, you look at Kyle Korver is one of the best players in the league at generating space off of his movement he's one of he's one of the most agile players in the league especially for his level of overall athleticism jj reddick is one of the best passers out of spot-up opportunities in the league his ability to see the floor and be able to react to where the open guy is coming from as the defense rotates is pretty elite um Luke Kennard is a really good dribbler and is able to dribble out of spot-up opportunities and be able to attack the basket that way. And then Kevin Herter has the athleticism to be a really solid finisher on those spot-up looks. Hero really struggles to hit either of those two big benchmarks. He hit 35.5% from three on 169 attempts this year, which is acceptable. It's better than Cam Reddish did, for instance, but isn't really at the point where, you know, you'd like to see maybe like a Fletcher McGee type as a comparison or a Cam Johnson from North Carolina who both hit over 40% from three on higher volumes than what Haro did. And when you look at the rest of Haro's game, he has that negative wingspan, 6'3", when he's almost 6'5", and that's not great. Um, he really doesn't get into the lane enough to to really be a threat attacking the basket. He is a guy who reminds a lot of Matthew DeLavidova, where every shot that he takes in the paint is from the middle of the paint and no closer. He cannot get into the restrictive area because he does not have a wingspan that is long enough and he also doesn't have enough strength to be able to engage guys and Hiro takes it further and almost tries to actively avoid any contact whereas Deli is obviously our favorite guy just because he plows into people and has no regard for his own life or others. Um, Hero doesn't have the, have the same thing and I really wonder if he's actually going to be able to beat NBA players off of the dribble and be able to get into the lane and get an open shot without a defense being able to recover against him and if he doesn't have that he's not exactly a great passer and he's not this lightning shooter on on catch and shoot opportunities then you've got a really fragile one-dimensional shooter who's not even elite at the one dimension that he's supposed to be good at not to mention the defensive end where I'm probably a little higher than the consensus on him I think that he's going to compete and he tries and and there's a potential role for him on the defensive end, but he's never going to be a positive there. And you really need to get the offensive value out of him to actually have him be worth drafting at all, much less in the first round. Um, And I'm just not confident that that's going to come. Could he end up being, becoming that type of player? Sure. I think as he matures and he kind of understands that he needs to add those different things to his game, he definitely could get there, but he is definitely not the natural Pure shooter that, like a Reddick or a Herder or a Canard, really are being able to add those extra things that make him a bigger weapon outside of just him standing on the three point line. And that's going to be something that's going to be really hard for him to overcome, especially as a rookie. So, Heró. Probably going to go around the 26 pick. I would be very nervous about taking him because of positional overlap with Delavdova, because their skill sets are very similar. And also just the threat that he's never going to become the type of player that he's being billed as I think really limits his ability to be a functional NBA player um, because of his size and because he is not that elite shooter and doesn't have that other stuff around him. Third, let's talk a little bit about Nasir Little, um, a player who is, again, probably not going to go in a a situation where the Cavs are going to be able to draft him. If he goes to 26, I think he's a little bit more of a good bargain than he would be maybe if the Cavs were picking like 7th or 8th. But I think that he is worth talking about because he's a guy who was a preseason top 5 projected pick and, you know, is still going to live off of that reputation a little bit, it seems. Um, little measured a very disappointing 6'4.5 in shoes at the Combine. Um, thought he was a little bit taller, um, so that was a little bit of a disappointment. 224 pounds, seven, one wingspan. Um, he was, again, a freshman at North Carolina this year. Averaged 9.8 points and 4.6 rebounds per game. We obviously know about the struggles that he had with playing time and being able to get opportunities to create his own shot. He was not able to do that to the same way that he was at the uh, high school level. And I think that the big selling points for Little are that he is still a very good shot maker. He still definitely shows hints of the ability to create off the dribble, um, to be able to score in isolation, and he competes very well as a one-on-one defender. Um, I think if he was playing in... And, and coming into the like 2002 draft, we're having a very different conversation about Little because he is much more stylistically prepared for that type of kind of heavy iso ball than he is for the current NBA. Um, this is a guy who really struggled to see the open floor and make extra passes. He, again, kind of had the same black hole type scenario that Hachimura really struggled with and um, Cam Reddish struggled with as well. Um, he didn't really shoot well off the catch and didn't look confident doing that either. He really kind of was a record scratch guy where he caught the ball and it always was a delayed decision what he was going to do once he caught it um, as he kind of struggled to read the defense as it it was developing around him catching. And I think that he really kind of disappointed as a passer out of on-ball situations as well. Didn't really show much outside of that kind of elite shot-making ability that he kind of hints at now and again. Um, Defensively, he was completely lost on the off-ball side of the coin. He really struggled to kind of fit into what North Carolina asked him to do to play that kind of weak side free safety role Um, when he did get into one on one situations he was much better Um, he's definitely a guy that's going to be able to kind of shut guys down and be a little bit of a stopper but that's not really that valuable in the NBA currently Um, you need the ability to be able to read an offense as it reacts and be able to account for the player that you're defending off ball adequately because otherwise you're going to give up open shots and Little is the type that I think is really going to struggle with that right away um he is you know probably the best shot of any of the players that we're going to talk about today of actually being the type of player that he's being billed as i think that you know we get him out of the north carolina situation you get him on an nba team that's going to really work with his off-ball jumper and is really going to work with him on the defensive end and I think that he's going to get opportunities to grow out of the issues that he's had and become a functional player but I wouldn't want to be the team that is betting on that with a high draft pick. Um, So I would really worry about him getting picked in the top 10 and kind of having the burden of expectations. Whereas, you know, he's a little bit more palatable where he's probably projected to go around like the 14, 15 range. Um, Him ending up in Boston would be like a best case scenario because they've got the three picks and they really aren't going to need to have him play a huge role next year. They can kind of let him play in Maine and let him kind of carry on the bench and really develop throughout his first couple of years into the type of player that they would want him to be. So not really a great fit for the Cavs. And I would be really hope that they steered away from him unless he falls into their lap at 26. And then, you know, we can have a conversation about that if other guys are gone. Um, But overall just kind of fits the bill of these other guys of being kind of a disappointing guy who has a reputation of being positive, but probably isn't going to live up to that reputation in the NBA. And now our last two guys that we'll talk about are both kind of similar. They're both guys who, you know, have definite NBA bodies, but I really kind of worry about what their overall function is going to be at the NBA level. Um, first off, Bruno Fernando of Maryland, a six ten and a half. and a half, 237-pound sophomore with a 7'3 wingspan. Definitely one of the best and most well-developed um, athletic frames of anybody in this draft class, especially when you can factor for length. Um, you know, no, He looks like DeAndre Ayton out on the floor he's obviously not quite as big as Aiton but um with that same kind of physical maturity uh definite thick jack frame over here for for Fernando and um that's a big draw for for teams it's also a big draw that he's probably one of the better rebounders in the class especially on the offensive glass he has really good instincts and uses his frame very well to carve out space Um, he's a pretty good passer for the center position and also shows a little bit of ability to kind of protect the rim although Maryland had him kind of at a standstill um, at the rim a lot of the time and and there wasn't a lot of defending in space that Fernando got to do at the college level. Um, The reason that he's on this list is I again this is a guy who would be a top five pick 20 years ago um, but we don't play in the NBA of 20 years ago. He is definitely a guy who is going to operate mostly out of the post um, to be effective. He does not really look comfortable in the pick and roll as a finisher in the way that you know some of the other bigs, particularly like Jackson Hayes and Brandon Clark, do at the college level. Um, so I think that he's going to have to factor in there. And also, I just don't know that he is quick enough and fleet of foot enough to be able to defend well for what a center needs to be able to do. Um, Even drop coverage in the pick-and-roll he kind of struggles with because he doesn't really present himself with a good stance, um, doesn't really read the ball handler well, kind of has similar issues to what Mo Bamba struggled with last year in terms of just the ability to read the ball handler and drop coverage as they go towards the basket. And I just don't know that he is going to be a shooter in the way that you know some of the other bigs in this class kind of project to be um he definitely improved in that area this year and that that's definitely exciting um but i mean still this is a guy who has attempted 13 total threes in his career and pretty much every big to be functional on the offensive end unless you are like an elite pick and roll finisher like a rudy gobert or capella you need the threat of that jumper and you need the threat of flaring out to the uh, three point line, and I just don't know that he has that, and that he's really going to be able to kind of fit into what a modern NBA big is going to be. I mean, he, there's still a role for this type of guy in the league. I mean, obviously Andre Drummond just led helped lead the Pistons to the playoffs this year, um, but I, I the margins are so thin for what he's going to be able to do and kind of how he's going to be able to contribute value to a team um, that I would much rather spend the 26 pick on somebody who fits the modern game a little bit better than Fernando does. Um, if the Cavs had a second-round pick, I would be all-in on Fernando, um, but he's just not the type of guy that I would want to spend a first-round pick on in, the, in 2019 um, just because I don't know that he with his kind of antiquated game is really going to provide the value as a modern NBA center that you would really want. And then the last guy we'll go over is KZ Akpala, um, a sophomore from Stanford, 6'9 half, 210 pounds, 7'2", two wingspan. Physically wise, he had a great combine and really projects to have one of the better, again, NBA bodies in the class. Um, and he is a guy who played a lot on the wing, for Stanford this year. Um, averaged 16.8 points, 5.7 rebounds, and 2 assists per game, um, and looked pretty solid handling the ball, and there's kind of this thought that he is going to be a kind of secondary creation wing who can dump down into the post and kind of work against bigger guy, uh, bigger guys and really take advantage as kind of like a small ball four or really big three. And while I think there is some value to that, I just don't know that he functionally is going to actually play as like a near 6'10 guy. Um, he, He was really passive this past year at times in terms of his ability to kind of take over mismatches and really punish teams for putting smaller guys on him. And that's one thing that you would really like to see from him if he's going to actually be playing at the three. I mean, the whole point of him being a small forward is that he is going to kind of do the Rudy Gay thing where he can go dump somebody down in the post if he gets matched up against a, a like a two guard on a switch. And is really going to be able to take advantage of that um, by just overwhelming with his physical frame. And he doesn't really do that. Um, He's more of kind of like a straight-line driver who's a little bit more limited, capitalizes on um, kind of off-ball stuff. And also, I don't think he's really going to be able to turn the corner against more quick and strong um, NBA wings. So I really wonder what what his functional game is going to be for the NBA level, because as a four, um, he doesn't really have the st- or he doesn't really have the strength to take advantage of um, being that type of guy in the post. Um, he's definitely not quick enough to be able to um, even beat you know quick fours off the dribble. I mean, he's really going to struggle with like Thaddeus Young types who are at power forward size but are able to kind of compete with those guys on the wing. And I also just don't think that he's a good enough shooter at this juncture. Again, he's kind of a guy that I think you can be a little bit more project, uh, projectable with in terms of his ability to shoot, to shoot especially off the catch. Um, 36.8% from three on 87 attempts is pretty strong. Um, but again, it's kind of a work in progress there. And I think that he is going to kind of struggle to find an ideal fit at the NBA level, because he just has a weird athletic kind of mismatch. Um, defensive end of the end of the floor, kind of same thing. Um, I think that he's really going to struggle to defend fours and fives. Looked most comfortable defending threes, but isn't quick enough to be able to defend like the quicker. Uh, the quicker types that actually have some size that are going to be able to match up with him, um, and and that's kind of that's kind of an issue. Um, I just think this guy is is kind of he's a body a little bit where he is a guy that you can kind of plug in on the wing, but isn't really going to provide positive or really negative value for you. He's just kind of there. And again, you look at the guys around him. You look at Cam Johnson, who is a similar size and is an elite shooter. Um, look at like a Taylor Horton Tucker type, who definitely does have the upside as a shooter and as a defender to be a legitimate threat at the three. Um, you look at Isaiah Roby, who's about the same size and is much more comfortable defending on the inside and can definitely play full-time four. Um, even a Dedrick Lawson type, who is a really solid functional scorer, even though he's a little bit groundbound, bound um, may be a little bit of a better move than than taking Akpala. Um, just, I, I really wonder how his skill set is going to translate to the NBA in a way that a lot of these other guys who are in that 6'7 to 6'10 range and can play the four, because there's a ton of those guys this year. Um, I, I really struggle seeing how akpala is going to project at that spot at the next level in a way that you know i'm just not with like a second boya or a grant williams or an iggy brasdikas or an isaiah roby or all, or a cam johnson or all of these other guys who are around the similar size um i think if akpala is coming out next year where or last year where there aren't you know, five or six of these guys who all kind of have similar skill sets. I would feel a little bit better about him, but this year, um, the opportunity cost with him, I, I just don't. I just don't think that he's the best option for what you want out of his his skill set. So those are those are the guys that I would really focus on in terms of players that are getting first round hype that I don't necessarily think are going to be worth that type of value. Um, There are obviously a couple other guys who kind of, who kind of fit that bill um, going around the same spot. Um, We've talked about Cam Reddish before um, and, and kind of how I would maybe steer away from him a little bit, but I don't really put him in the same class because I do think that he's going to be a very talented wing defender at the next level in a way that I don't see the same the same uh, issue with some of these guys kevin porter jr kind of same thing looks a lot like nasir little functionally in terms of their projection of what they're going to look like in the first two years of the rookie contract but porter i think has a little bit more, bit more upside because he's a little bit more of a fluid athlete um but these are the five guys that i really would kind of shy away from um and and would m- be much more inclined to look elsewhere for um, that's going to do every, everything for this week. Um, hopefully you've, uh, kind of seen these guys in a new light and kind of go back and look at film and, and can kind of see some of the stuff that we talked about and why some of these guys may not be the best fits for the Cavs, um. And, and hopefully this this has been a little bit helpful for trying to kind of be a little bit more selective for who to target for the cat uh, for the calves at these two spots um, remember that you can find the podcast on Fear the Sword, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts um, be sure to subscribe and leave a review which helps more people find the podcast um, you can also listen to our friends on the feed The Bottom with David Zavak and Chris Manning um, be sure to stay tuned for them once you've subscribe best way to or that's the best way to support best way to get topics submitted for the show and to um, ask questions is to follow me at illegal screens on twitter where you can find my draft writing and links to other podcasts and submit questions and I hope that in the next couple of weeks we get a little bit more information on who the Cavs are targeting. Next week we'll probably come back and we'll talk a little bit more about kind of revisiting some of the guys that the Cavs are going to be looking at at the top. And also do some more breakdowns of some of the skill markets at the 26 pick. Um, so definitely stay tuned to, the, to that as we get started. About two weeks out from the draft, uh, we're very close and, and hopefully the Cavs can take some of the lessons that we talked about today and uh, steer clear of some of these potential red flags and pitfalls. Um, we will catch you next time and go Cavs.